You have found yourself in week five of the guidance core seminar on how to make decisions. We have spent the last few weeks of the class laying a foundation for how we make decisions, um, looking at God's sovereign control over all of our decisions, looking at God's will, and God's goal for our decisions, which is that we be faithful in what we do. So now it's time to build on that foundation and think practically about how we can make those decisions. And I got to tell you, I'm just excited about this class in particular because it gets so practical. This particular, these next two, so, so practical and really just builds on the good foundation that we have been learning. So just a reminder, this class is about how Christians should ordinarily make decisions. Throughout Scripture, God guides His people through dreams, audible voices, prophets, visions, and so forth. And if you heard a God's, if you heard God's voice talking from a donkey or a burning bush, decision making would be pretty straightforward, right? Uh, except that while God can guide this way, and He has at times, this is not His normal practice, especially in an age where we have His scriptures. In full. So, you'll need to give up on the expectation that you can rely on God speaking out of a storm or writing on the wall when you're trying to decide whether or not to take your significant others to Chili's or Chick fil A. But we all know that the answer is Chick fil A. Christian chicken is the best. So, <laughs> absent this extraordinary, unusual guidance from God, how can we make decisions? Okay, so for the next two weeks, we're going to be doing an inventory of the tools God has given us to make decisions. This week, the Bible, prayer, and counsel. Next week, circumstances, feelings, and wisdom. You do not want to miss it. Tell your friends. Um, okay, now, as we, as we go through these, okay... We're going to note wrong, way, wrong ways to use these tools, okay? Wrong ways to use these tools that God has given us. And uh, so first of all, I want to talk about the tool of God's Word. And the first thing I want to do when talking about the tool of God's Word to make decisions is I want to talk about wrong ways to use God's Word to make decisions, okay? So our first tool is God's Word. How does God word, God's Word help us to make decision, decisions? Let's start by talking about wrong ways that people think they can use God's Word to make decisions. So here's one good place to start. Opening up the Bible randomly to a verse and applying it directly to your situation. There's an old joke about the woman who opened up to Matthew 27.5 where it says of Judas, he went out and hanged himself. Dissatisfied with that, she flipped open to another random page where she read at the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan, you go and do likewise. You should laugh. Um, okay, that is not how the Bible should be read. Okay, that is not how the Bible is supposed to be read. Open random, opening randomly and assuming that a sentence devoid of context is God's special message to you is a horribly mystical way to conceive of Scripture. That's certainly not how Jesus used the Scriptures or how the Bible teaches us to read itself. But that's not the only wrong-headed way to use the Bible for guidance. A related error would be taking a verse out of context. Okay? For instance, in Peter Jenkins' book, Walk Across America, he describes becoming a Christian, meeting a Christian woman, Barbara, 
proposing to her, not only proposing marriage, but proposing that she quit her job and finish his walk across the continent with him. In church the next morning, she hears Genesis 24:58, where Laban asks Rebekah, will you go with this man about going with Abraham's servant to marry Isaac? Barbara is transfixed. That question keeps ringing in her ears, and she accepts the proposal. Now, did God superintend for her to hear that passage that day? Certainly. Okay? Certainly he did. Was it wise for her to marry Peter? Perhaps, though they eventually got divorced. Was Laban's question a good one for her to be thinking through? Again, perhaps. But here's what's critical. Should she have ascribed special significance to that question because it came from the Bible as opposed to, say, um, hearing it on a TV sitcom? Absolutely not. Because in its context, Laban's question has absolutely nothing to do with Peter's proposal to Barbara. It was right of Rebecca to answer that question with a yes, but Rebecca's situation in no way suggests that God would lead Barbara to give the same answer. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Just because a set of words comes from the Bible doesn't mean that they are God's particular message to you. Okay, They are God's word only in as much as they are read as God intended for them to be read in context and applied appropriately. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Please, everyone, go like this. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then please get me later, and I'm going to help you with this. Greg Kokel from Stand to Reason Ministries has a saying that's useful for us. Never read a Bible verse. That's the saying. Never read a Bible verse. Now, before you get up and walk out and think, I'm never coming back. That's right. He said, never read a Bible verse. In other words... Always read Scripture with the benefit of its context, what comes before and what comes after. To give another example, consider Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Many Christians have taken this verse to mean that they can achieve all their dreams and goals and visions and passions in life by the strength of Christ, but that is not what that is talking about at all. The surrounding context makes it clear that Paul is talking about learning contentment in Christ through both good and bad circumstances. Paul isn't saying that he can accomplish anything through Christ, but that he can endure all things through Christ and still radiate contentment. So context is key, and context affects the meaning of the verse significantly. Okay, So those are wrong ways to use God's word. Now let's talk about right ways to use God's Word. How do we use God's Word to make decisions? Let me just give you four categories of guidance that the Scriptures provide. Number one, remember, pick up a, a, a guide over there if you'd like to. Those will help you. Number one, specific commands. The most obvious way that Scriptures guide us is through specific and clear commands. Is it God's will for me to leave my wife and marry another woman? No. Okay? Do not commit adultery. Case closed. I know this seems obvious, but there are times when Christians get all caught up in knots, feeling God's leading in a certain direction, but seeing an explicit command in another direction. Listen, guys, God never 
contradicts himself. If you feel God is leading you to commit adultery, I can guarantee you with 100% confidence that your feelings are mistaken. Okay? Number two, biblical principles. Of course, there are many commands in Scripture that don't clearly outlaw a particular action, but are very helpful nonetheless. Let's say you're struggling on how you should respond to an invitation to a workplace lunch where one of your colleagues is going to announce his engagement to be married to his boyfriend. Okay? One of your colleagues, a male, is going to announce his engagement to his boyfriend to get married. And you are invited to lunch where you know that this engagement, a man to a man, is going to be announced. Okay. It's not like he's inviting you to his wedding. It's not like the stated purpose of the lunch is to celebrate a gay marriage. But you know how the room is going to feel when he makes his announcement, right? It's going to be jubilant, okay? Is there a clear command in Scripture about what you should do? I don't think so, but consider Ephesians 5, 5 and following. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. That last phrase, do not become partners with them. That's a really helpful principle to keep in mind as you wrestle through what to do. As is, I think, Romans 1.32. Think about Romans 1.32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. How can you act so as to not appear as though you're partnering with others in their sin, and how can you act so that it does not appear as though you are giving approval to others' sin? Those principles would help you think through how you might decide whether or not to attend that lunch or not. Does that make sense? Okay. So there's clear commands that are just like yes, no. Then there's things that aren't covered by clear commands, but we have biblical principles that we need to think through and apply, which would lead us to make wise and God-honoring decisions. Okay. And then, number three, there are biblical goals and motives. The Bible can judge the motives and goals we have in making a decision. And thinking about biblical motives and goals can sometimes unmask unbiblical motivations in our hearts. If you're dating someone and you are seeking guidance as to whether they would be a good spouse, you can look at Proverbs 31 and see what a godly wife looks like. Or you can look at 1 Timothy 3, elder qualifications, which is just what every man should aspire to, and you should see, you can see rather, what a godly husband uh, should look like. Or if we're thinking about a career change and we want to assess our motives, you could look at passages like 1 Timothy 6, 6-10 through 10, to show us the effects of sinful patterns of behavior like the pursuit of riches instead of the pursuit of God. Now, I think it can be helpful to just write all of your motives down. Write down all of your motives, write down all of your goals, both good and bad, that you have for a particular question. So just write those down 
and then write down the motives and goals that you see in Scripture along with the passages where you see them and spend time thinking through those passages and looking at your motivations and goals and just see where they're lining up and let God's Word kind of expose your heart in that way. I find that oftentimes when you write things down, this is why I preach from a manuscript, because it forces me to think very clearly about what I think and what I am saying. Whereas if I were to just go off the cuff... It may not be as well thought through. So how much more would it be a wise thing for you to think through? Okay, what are my motivations and my goals behind this decision? Well, I think it's this and this and this. But when you start to write it down, you're like, "Eh, no, it may not be that. It may be this. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Show it to your spouse. Show it to a good friend. What do you think? Do you think this is this fair? Yeah, that's fair. Write it down. Then write down biblical goals and motivations. Compare the two and just let God's word do some work on you as you've kind of just put your heart out on paper. Okay? So that's number three, biblical goals and motives. Number four, wisdom. Wisdom. Honestly, the main way the Bible helps us make decisions has nothing to do with decision-making at all. It's simply the wisdom that you grow in as you spend more and more time in God's Word. Please listen to me. If you spend zero time in the Bible until the day you need to make a huge life decision, I can pretty much guarantee you that the Bible is going to be almost useless to you at that moment. Okay? That may sound blasphemous, but it's true. If you haven't been meditating in it, soaking on it, letting it transform your thoughts and your mind and your heart and your motives, you can't just go to the Bible like a little promise answer booklet. Uh, I know we have those things, but it doesn't really work. Uh, in this scenario as you're thinking about making wise decisions. You need to be transformed by it so that you have wisdom when the time comes. Okay, I think about Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is what? In the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates once every two weeks. He meditates day and night. And in his law, he meditates once on Sunday morning. Right? In his law, he meditates once on Sunday morning and once on Tuesday or Thursday if he goes to home group. Right? No, no. In his law, he meditates day and night. Day and night. Get to know the scriptures, brothers and sisters. Get to know the scriptures. Think about them often. Read them often. Pray through them often. Memorize them often. If you don't feel like it, you are, uh, you are in all the more need to do so if you don't feel like it. Okay? You, please hear me as your pastor. If you have no desire to spend time in God's word, you all the more need to spend time in God's word because your heart isn't right right now. Okay? And you need to get right. And part of the ways you get right is by doing what God has given us to do. It's kind of like if you're not interested in your The dumb idea would be to just go your own ways and be roommates. That would be a dumb idea. And it would be understandable because you're frustrated with each other or whatever. But if you force yourself to spend time with one another, reconcile your differences, get right on whatever it is that's wrong between the two of you, and then spend time with one another, then you're going to find yourself liking one another more. But sometimes you have to force yourself to do that. It doesn't always come natural, right? 
At least not for me, it doesn't always come natural. There's some days where I'm delighted to spend time with Kristen. There are days when I'm less delighted to spend time with Kristen. She is not here right now, and she would be okay with me saying that. Anytime I say things, they're like, I'm going to tell your wife. um, So, all right. So, spend time in God's Word. All right. Prayer. If you'll take a look at your handout, we're on point two. Prayer. Just like we did earlier, let's start with poor ways to use prayer in making a decision. Well, this one's pretty clear, but we should consider it anyway. We shouldn't pray for God to do something that he forbids, like asking God to make a dating relationship with a non-Christian successful. We should not pray for that. That's not a good thing to pray for, because God clearly forbids that. All right. Number two, asking for a sign. We shouldn't pray for a sign. Some might call this the wet fleece method, getting its name from the account of Gideon in the book of Judges. Have you ever heard a Christian say, I'm going to throw the fleece out there, right? I'm going to throw the fleece out. Well, I'm going to tell you, stop throwing the fleece, okay? Lord, if you want me to take this job in this particular industry, then let the headline in the Milton Independent tomorrow be related to this industry, okay? Well, what's wrong with that? Well, mainly that God never promises to answer requests like that. In fact, quite the opposite. He tells us in 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for most good works. Ah, I'm glad that you looked at me funny. Good. Equipped for All good work, every good work, right? Is there any good work that you need some miraculous sign to accomplish? No, there is not any good work that you need some miraculous sign to accomplish. All good works are either by direct scripture or by implication from scripture has been given to you. What you need for every good work has been given to you through God's word. But didn't Gideon get his wet fleece, you know? You might say that. Isn't he in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame, you might say? Well, yes, but even he knew, brothers and sisters, that he was pushing his limits with God in asking for a sign. If you look at Judges 6.39, he was responding to God's audible command. And though he exercised faith, you can hardly read the account of his life in Judges and come away thinking that his life is exemplary for us. By the way, you can hardly read Judges thinking that anything in there is exemplary from us, save in the negative, okay? If you read through the book of Judges, what you're gonna, the constant refrain is, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That is a bad thing, okay? And Judges just shows the decline, 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 decline of Israel, which sets the stage for King David to ultimately come. Okay, it's showing the decline away from God. So don't like read Judges and be like, well, here's my example in life. Bad hermeneutics. Okay, bad hermeneutics. So how should we pray? Um, oh, actually, let me just, let me pause. Boop. It might seem like asking for a sign is an indication of great faith. I think, in actual fact, it's the opposite. We can be afraid to make hard decisions. And I understand that. I can be afraid to make hard decisions. We struggle to trust God when things aren't exactly as clear as we like. I understand that too. So, we ask for a sign. But God promises to care for us in every situation, even when things aren't as clear as we'd like for them to be. 
and he promises that his word is sufficient all the time. So I think we can trust him and act in faith as we make hard decisions. Okay? Now, how should we pray? Well, that's the question Jesus answers in Matthew 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I just want to note three things coming from this verse that should inform how we think about prayer in relation to guidance and decision making. First, note that it is a biblically informed prayer. I'm sorry, a a biblically informed prayer life will have as its reference God as Father. The one who is a fortress and a refuge, a shield and a protector is also our Father. Jesus emphasizes this point in the very next chapter when he says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? When it comes to praying in regards to decision-making and guidance, you can know that God will give you everything that is good for you because God is your Father. That's a comforting promise, right? That's a very comforting promise. Second, a biblically informed prayer life will place the ultimate purposes of God's work in this world over and above our desires. This is very important. So if you're checked out and need more coffee, then grab coffee, okay? A biblically informed prayer life will place the ultimate purposes of God's work in this world over and above our own desires. What does the prayer say? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Showing humble submission and deference to the success of God's work rather than the success of our own work. That's, that's a biblically informed prayer life. That's not to say that we don't desire the success of our own work. Not at all. But in praying for God's ultimate purposes before our own, we're recognizing the precedence of God, that God's work takes over our own. And that, brothers and sisters, places us in a better position to respond to trials and difficult circumstances with patience, trust, and joy, rather than frustration, fear, and anger. So, when we pray, let's ensure that we're praying with God's ultimate purposes in mind. Okay? Now, number three, number the next one. Finally, our prayer should recognize a daily dependence upon God. Give us this day our daily bread. He's clearly alluding to the manna that came down from heaven in Exodus 16. God instructs the Israelites only to gather what they need for that day, otherwise the manna would rot. And what God intended to teach them was to come to him daily for all that they needed. So, feel the spiritual sigh of relief when it comes to you facing a big decision that you can rest in God's promise to care for all that you need you know, today and every day. Okay, just so feel that big sigh of relief as it relates to big decisions that he will care for you today in this decision and every day in every decision. Any questions so far? Any questions so far? Yeah. Okay. Okay. If we have relatives, then 
celebrate with them their joy of having a child? I might need to know more information to answer that in a more helpful way. My niece okay. has married a Okay. They went through artificial insemination. Okay. Okay. These are all things that have to be thought through. Uh, I would lean towards you celebrate what you can celebrate. And a life is a life uh, and worthy to be celebrated. It is an absolute tragedy. I mean, babies need moms and dads, not dads and dads or moms and moms. Um, so, you know, uh, if they were to, you know, there were there would be certain things that I wouldn't participate in. Like if they were, let's just say they were, Methodists, and so they practice form of, of infant baptism dedication. Um, I would not go to that. Um, I would not go to that. N- not only because I'm a Baptist, haha, but um, uh, uh, but uh, more importantly because I, you know, just the whole family structure is just totally out of line with God's word. So so you have to find ways in these types of things, and Christians are going to face this more and more and more and more. You have to find ways to walk the boundary where you're not celebrating that which is evil, but you're not unnecessarily, unnecessarily causing offense. You're going to have to get over the fact that you are going to cause offense. You're, you are going to have to get over that. So I've had to counsel multiple folks in regards to attending a, a homosexual wedding, that that would not be a wise thing to do. Um, and that's going to cause offense when you say, I can't, I can't attend this. Um, but uh, you kind of have to get over the fact that you are going to cause offense, but you don't want to cause unnecessary offense. So you want to celebrate and be involved with um, a, as much as you can. So, for example, I worked, when I was working in, uh, in the banking industry, my boss was a lesbian, and uh, she and her uh, lesbian partner invited her, my wife, uh, my wife and I, over to dinner, and we went, and we enjoyed the time with them. And I think my boss clearly, over time, knew exactly where I stood. Yet she also knew that I was, I genuinely cared for her, um, and so she knew where I stood. But I also had a, I, I had a genuine relationship with her, and I had a genuine relationship with her partner, and they knew where I stood. Um, so there's a way to have relationships yet not be offensive in the process. But there's also a sense in which the gospel is just offensive. So if I seem like I've talked out of both sides of my mouth, I have. Um, I have. Let's keep going. Um, good question. Very good question. Um, so let's talk about using counsel. Let's talk about using counsel. Proverbs 16.9 reads, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. The second part of that verse is a good summary for what we've covered in the first few weeks of class. We trusted in God's good and sovereign providence. He has a purpose and a plan for each of us that he's going to carry out in our lives no matter what. Check. Um, The first part of that verse refers to what we're really talking about today. As we plan our ways, we use God's word, we use prayer, and finally, we turn in this section to using counsel. We use these things as we plan our ways, trusting that the Lord is directing our steps as we are planning our ways. So, there are bad ways to use counsel, too. Okay, so let's just talk about bad ways to use counsel. For starters, there's the, I'll call them the selective counsel seeker. We don't seek counsel from those who might disagree with us. That might be because we view counsel as a check-the-box activity rather than something we really need. 
So we only talk to the people who we think will see things the way we do. But Proverbs 24:26 says, An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Find people who are more intent on giving you honest answers than in telling you what you want to hear. Okay, brothers and sisters? Um, other times, it's less nefarious, but no less foolish. We only talk with people in our own station of life. Okay? Only talking to people in our own station in life because we think that they are the only ones who can relate to us. Um, you need counsel from people who are in different stages of life than you. It is good to get counsel from someone in the same stage, but it is also to get counsel, good to get counsel from people who are in a different stage of life. Okay? Um, number two, uh, there's the person who places actually too much faith in counsel. For instance, a guy talks to an elder for 30 seconds on his way out of church, and he asks him a question. The elder gives him a quick answer, and the guy takes it as solid, gold, reliable direction. After all, he's an elder, right? But does he realize that 30 minutes with a good Christian friend, who admittedly may be less mature than an elder, might be substantially better than 30 seconds with an elder? Does that make sense? 30 minutes with a trusted Christian friend, who may be less mature than an elder, yes, but 30 minutes with a trusted Christian friend is much, much better than 30 seconds with an elder, okay? Um, And then, okay, one more. Uh, There's the person who waits until they've basically made up their mind before they ask for counsel. This may be because they don't think that they actually need counsel. They think that they've thought it through themselves. That in and of itself is a bit of a problem. That's actually just prideful, okay? Uh, because, but whatever may be the motivation, waiting until you've already almost made the decision is unwise because typically you've already moved a lot of your emotional desires and your, 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 you've just kind of moved yourself in a certain direction that you want to go in. And so you're not going to be nearly as open-handed as you would have been if you would have asked earlier in the process, Okay. Furthermore, at this point, if you've just almost made the decision, you're more than likely kind of looking for a rubber stamp, and you're just going to be upset if someone doesn't give you the rubber stamp that you're looking for. I would suggest you just engage people way earlier in the decision-making process. I think it's more helpful for you. Now, here are good ways to seek counsel. Um, Counsel is a massive blessing to our decision-making process. Just think about what God's Word has to say about this. Proverbs 12.15 The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. 13.10, pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs 15.22, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 19.20, listen to advice and accept instruction. In the end, you will be wise. A lot of good words there, right? Okay, so here's some... Counsel on seeking counsel. Who to talk to? Let me give you a few categories of counselors who'd be good for you. First is the person who is godly and wise. Someone who has walked with Christ for a long time and has a long track record of faithfulness is going to be a great ally for you. And note, I said godly and wise. Those two don't necessarily always overlap. Okay, you're looking for someone who is a good decision maker, 
who has a track record of making decisions they'll be happy with when they stand before the Lord someday. So that's number one. Seek a person who is godly and wise. Number two, uh, someone who knows the scriptures well. Of course, there should be a lot of overlap between the first and the second category, but there are some wise and godly people who just aren't quite as good at matching your situation with chapter and verse. Okay? They're going to be good and godly and wise people who just aren't quite as good at matching your situation with chapter and verse. Someone who knows the Bible well is going to help you see which scriptural principles will be good to consider in your situation. Like the example that I talked about, about do you go to lunch and then thinking through Ephesians 5 and Romans 1, right? You want to look for somebody who might have some scriptural principles that you might be able to just munch on, okay? Third is someone who knows you. Who knows you well enough that they don't need to rely on only what you say to give you advice, right? You need to talk to somebody who knows you well enough that after you're done kind of giving your spiel, they know you well enough that they can just say, you know, but in the past I've also just, I remember you talking about this, and I know you also struggle with this. How does that play into this? You know, somebody who just knows you a bit more, who can ask those those probing questions. Um, So you need to talk to somebody who knows you. If you don't know anybody like that, by the way, you should get to know people like that. We'll We'll talk about that. Fourth is someone who knows your situation. Let's say you're considering a job transition. It would be great to talk to someone who knows the job you're considering. And ideally, somebody who's made the same job switch you're now thinking through. These people may often be better at providing information than advice, but that information is super helpful. That's where, that's where non-Christians in a secular world setting can be super, super helpful. I mean, if you're considering taking a job change, and you know a buddy who's taken that job change, he's not a Christian, but he's in the job you're thinking about taking, you should talk to that person and find out about that job. And he's probably going to have more information than advice, but that information is going to be helpful for you to take in your matrix of decision-making. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, now, ideally... All these people are going to be wrapped together into one amazing package. Um, But oftentimes that's just not the case. And besides, you probably want to talk to a few people in each category if the decision is a really, really big one. So for instance, when I was thinking about going to seminary, I mean, I was leaving my, my, what I thought when I got into commercial real estate was going to be just my lifetime career. Um, I was considering leaving commercial real estate, upending my family, and moving to... Yankee land, as far as I was concerned, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and uh, it's the first time I really owned a serious coat um, when I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. So I talked to all sorts of people. I talked to my dad, who's not a Christian, because he knows me well. And he, you know, he can just have insight for me. And he's experienced a lot of life, right? I talked to my elders. I talked to people in commercial real estate in Louisville, Kentucky, because I was thinking about going into commercial real estate in Kentucky and supporting myself. I talked to um, trusted Christian brothers in Kentucky. So I just talked to a lot of people. I just kind of spread a wide net and tried to use that to help me make a good decision. Um, okay. Just drill down a little bit. Know your advisors first. It's a shame when you realize that there's no overlap between category three and the other categories I just listed. So don't let that happen to you. 
Make sure that you're building relationships with wise, godly people so that over many, many years, they get to know you really, really well. That is good for you, it's good for them, and it's good when you have a big decision to make. Can you name who those people are for you? Can you name who those people are for you? This is all the more reason, brothers and sisters, to invest yourself in opportunities like home groups to build relationships here at church, right? Just all the more reason to invest yourself there. Um, And then I would also say, be completely honest. This seems so captain obvious, but be completely honest. It seems obvious, but we, we we should say this. Talk honestly about what direction you're leaning and about why. Don't try to paint a one-sided picture that makes it seem like this is clearly the best thing and then hide all of the doubts you have and your motivations that you know that are marbled. Just be totally honest. Just be totally honest. Um, Talk about the temptations you know that you face, the idols that you know your heart is struggling with. Talk about where you got the information you're basing your decision on. Talk about the ways in which, you know, you're, you're... Yeah, I think you get what I'm saying. Now, your degree of transparency, just put a little asterisk here, a little footnote, your degree of transparency will depend on which category advisor we're talking about, okay? So if you're just talking to, you know, if I'm talking to my non-Christian dad, I'm going to withhold some information that's just not going to make any sense to him. And I understand that, right? But if I'm talking to a dear and trusted brother, I'm just going to divulge everything, Okay, because I there's no there's there's no benefit in getting counsel if I'm not totally honest. I mean, there is benefit some, but you're not getting the full benefit of it if you're not just being totally honest. And what do you have to hide anyway? Right. Like, what's your motivation? Your motivation is to make a good decision. You're going to make a better decision if you just open and honest. Uh, So if that's your motivation, just be open and honest. And you're talking with a brother. They're not going to condemn you for ways in which you've sinned or anything like that or how sin may be infecting the decision. I'm just assuming, we're all just assuming that our motives are marbled and we're all sinning in some way in this process. So let's just do the best we can here. So just be honest. Uh, And then I would say talk things out. Now, some of you are internal processors. You make decisions inside your head. Some of you are external processors, and you really need to talk things out. If you're in the latter category, make sure your advisor knows that, and then talk things out, right? If you're in 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 the first category, make sure your advisor knows that, and you probably won't talk things out as much. Um, But it's good to, to just get some things on the table. But verbal processors just need to you know, and so it's good for your advisor to know, hey, I'm a verbal processor, or it's good for your advisor to know, hey, I'm not a verbal processor. You know, here's the three things that I think are salient. You know, um, your your advisor may ask you questions, and you nonverbal processors may have to like tell. Um, okay. All right. Um, as we <laughs> actually, let me just stop there because we have we have that's the actually the end of the material. We got five minutes for questions. Heather? They're the selective deci- they're the selective counselor looking for the selective counsel person. 
affirmed? I think have an open and honest conversation, and it may not just be one open and honest conversation, but just an open and honest conversation. I'm I'm front door, and so I think it's just really helpful. Hey, so it seems like you so you've gone to this person, they've said this. You've gone to this person, they've said this. You've gone to this person, they've said this. You're still, and and this and these all seem to give one central answer. And yet you're still looking for a different answer. Are, are you just looking for somebody to agree with you? I'm asking you an honest question. I, I am thinking that may be what's going on. Are you, do you think you're doing that? Just open and honest. See what they say, you know. And if there's massive defensiveness, then just be honest about that. Hey, it seems like you're being defensive. I'm just asking a question because it does look like this. Are you? Are you, Why are you being defensive with me? I'm asking. And, and remember, you've asked me for advice, so I feel like we have this open door to talk about this. So I don't think you should get defensive about me asking you this question. If you tell me it's not, then I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe you and I'm leaving you to the Lord. This is ultimately between you and the Lord anyway, but I'm just trying to serve you here, brother or sister. So I think the best way I can serve you is to be honest. So I just think an open and honest conversation with somebody. John? Yes. Uh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's similar. So I think um, if you think it's a good option to do something, then pursue it, and God may close that door per se. But that's different than throwing out the fleece. Throwing out the fleece, you're asking for confirmation before you ever do anything, right? If you want me to be a commercial broker with Remax, may there be a cloud that looks like a Remax cloud. Aha, then I will know. Um, So... That's that's looking for something before you do anything. The God closing a door is you saying, well, based off of this counsel, based off of this principle, based off of all I can see, this seems like a good path. I'm going to walk down this path. You know, blam, not possible. Okay, close the door. Go in a different route. Does that make sense? So they are different. John, Rick, sorry. Uh, just a, a verse apart from the, the context. Yeah, slightly nuanced. Yeah. Other questions? Heather? Yeah. I think you want to point them to the principles and priorities that we've talked about in the class. Uh, who knows what's going on in a dream? I don't know. Dreams are funky, right? Um, and it may be that there is something going on there that's from the Lord, but we can't really bank anything on that. I would advise not banking anything on that, to bank things on wisdom, biblical priorities, 
counsel. Um, dreams are, are cuckoo and wacky. Who here has not done in crazy, crazy weird things in your dreams? And you're just like, you wake up and you're like, oh, I just want to make sure that wasn't real. So let's not bank our futures on dreams when half the time we wake up sweating, afraid that they were real, okay? I just think that's selective decision-making, if ever I've heard it. Um, so I hope that's not too negative a response on that. I, I, don't, I don't mean to do that. I just mean to say we shouldn't put a lot of weight on it. We should put weight on these things. Well, that's just bad counsel. And I would even just have an open and honest conversation about that. Where do you see in Scripture that we should rely on dreams? I just think that's bad counsel, brother or sister. I don't think it's true. Let's not be afraid to have, let's not be afraid to have those open and honest conversations. Oh, I might offend them. Well, okay. If we can't talk honestly... That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, and I guess I would just say, is that normative for us? And I don't think that's normative for us. Normative being the normal way that God leads. Well, I think God's given us principles and priorities wherein we can make wise decisions. Uh, he can obviously do anything he wants to do to get us to go a certain place, but nowhere have we been counseled or encouraged to seek those things. Whereas we seem to be counseled and encouraged to seek, uh, I'm thinking specifically, say, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all of Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for all of these things, so that the man of God, man or woman, may be thoroughly equipped, equi- thoroughly fitted, equipped for every good work. It seems like principles from Scripture should be that which we are using to make decisions, as opposed to... Here's, here's the thing. Here's, here's what I think I see and what I fear and what many see and fear is that we move decision making into a rather mystical realm. And I think relying on these things is, is putting it squarely in a mystical realm that's not rooted on, upon clear priorities from God's word. So that's what I would say. That's possible. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, I'm just saying it's not God's normal way of guiding. That's what I'm saying. Actually, John, going to catch me afterwards. 10:17. Sorry, brother. All right. Don't miss next week. That's happened to John twice. Don't miss next week. It's the next series. You do not want to miss it. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, thanks for this day. Thank you for these brothers and sisters. Please help us to be wise and good decision makers that bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.